first is to build a kingdom of plenty apart from God. That's the goal of socialism, to build a kingdom of plenty apart from God. You have to understand that Marxism is an atheistic philosophy. Karl Marx himself said this, the first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. In short, socialism is the offspring of Marxist ideology and as such believes that the state is actually the provider, sustainer, protector, and lawgiver for every citizen. In other words, the state replaces God in every socialist society. Perhaps that's why wherever this has been tried, Christians are among the most persecuted in that society. Now listen, because socialism seeks to dethrone God, everything that God loves, it by necessity hates. Which leads to the second major pillar, and that is to destroy and replace the family. Since the state is God, the state must also replace the family in order to properly indoctrinate children in socialist ideals. It must, therefore, destroy traditional marriage and revolutionize things like childcare so that the state is now the primary educator. In order to make that happen, it has to, third, discourage and even disallow the ownership of private property. Because the state is God, the state is the owner of everything, and therefore private property must be abolished. The government must take from those who have in order to give to those who did not earn it. The government controlling everything is the goal. Which leads to the fourth pillar, and which is actually the subject of our text today, and that is to devalue work and to diminish its purpose. Because the state is God, man no longer works as a result of being created in the image of God, but rather he works as an expression of his evolution. In fact, Marxism teaches that it is work that sets humanity apart from the animal world. They teach, Marxism teaches that it was work that triggered something in the human brain to trigger its, its transformation, to trigger evolution, to make the difference between ape and man. Now listen, John MacArthur said this, when God doesn't matter anymore, then there is no universal transcendent standard for behavior. And natural human corruption runs rampant to the degree that any person that any individual person chooses to live. One of the basic moral virtues that disappears in a culture is work. People once worked hard because of the influence of Scripture and because Scripture is a reflection of the will of God. God is the authority and the Bible is the revelation of His will. Work is a virtue. Work is moral behavior. People worked hard because they believed they were accountable to God and they were accountable to the revelation of God in the Scriptures. Most often, we hear that socialism destroys any incentive to work. And it most certainly does that, but it does so much more. It says that work is what gives identity to humanity, but God says that our identity is founded in the fact that we have been created in His image. 
Now, let me go back to the text. Show you what was happening here in Thessalonica. And I think a pretty good summary of that is found in 2 Thessalonians 3.11. Notice what he says. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. There were some who were idle. I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L. There were some who were idle. They were not working, and instead they had become busy bodies. So they were becoming idle, just relying on others to support them, as they were becoming busybodies or meddlers. That's what always happens in the absence of work. People just doing nothing become people involved in everything while doing nothing. Now that phrase is interesting here. Uh, he says here, not busy at work, but busybodies. It probably could be translated, everywhere doing everything, but doing nothing. Now you say, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, this is just, I mean, the, look at all the other sins they could choose in the Greco-Roman culture. This isn't a big deal, but I th- think it's interesting what Peter says about this. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, amen, or as a thief, amen, or as an evildoer, amen. And then what does he compare that to? Or a meddler. Being a meddler, a busybody, is one who meddles in the affairs of others. Probably refers to one who is a troublemaker. One who is a troublemaker in the world or in the workplace. A revolutionary a meddler, never having anything to do but seemingly involved in everything. When we were studying about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, we talked about that which has become known today as being a community organizer. But I want to go back to the word idleness. To us, the word, we hear that word idle and we think just of doing nothing. But that wouldn't be exactly correct. We've seen this word before. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. He says in this 2 Thessalonians 3 2, and that we may be delivered from wicked men. Same word. In verse 2, it's translated wicked. In verse, uh, uh, tw- uh, where are we? <laughs> 11, it's translated as idle. The point is this what is at stake here in Thessalonica is much more than someone who just refused to work. Paul's not talking about someone who isn't doing things. What was at stake here is that they were actually living an, and here would be a better translation, an unruly life. An out of line life. A disorderly life. An undisciplined life. They were at stake. What was at stake is that they were living outside of God's word. And that's what happened because of the ever-increasing influence influence of a godless culture, the human sinful tendency toward laziness, and the presence of wrong theology. What happened is this. People began living a life that was out of control. They began living an unruly life. And that was shown up, that showed up in their lives, by their though they were perfectly able to, They refused to work. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to beware today 
of this unruly idleness. We need to beware of unruly idleness, whether it's spawned by the influence of an ever-increasing godless society, as it is today, whether it's the tendency of a lazy flesh, or whether it's the presence of false teaching, we, you and I, have got to beware of an unruly idleness. And there are three reasons why we should take this warning, that's what Paul does here in 2 Thessalonians 3, very seriously. Three reasons. One, because if we, if we don't pay attention to this warning about unruly idleness in the church, because, number one, of the principle that is disobeyed. There's a principle that is disobeyed. Secondly, there's a pattern that is disregarded. And thirdly, there is a person who is dishonored. We've got to take this seriously today and not just think that this is some history lesson or political science lesson or something that's just back then but it's very applicable for us today because if we ignore it, we have to remember that we're going to uh, disobey the scriptural principle, that we're going to disregard the scriptural pattern, and we're going to dishonor the one person who we need to honor with all of our lives. So what I'm going to do today, just a basic overview, we'll come back and get some of the details in the coming weeks. Let's look at the principle that is disobeyed. Would you look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10? I'm just going to pull these out here, set it in order, and we'll think about it. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. What is it? If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It does not say if anyone is not willing to eat, let him not work. It says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. This principle that he lays out here is not a neat little saying. It's not some, some cultural poem that Paul draw, drew from. He's not creating some sort of new law. He said, I've, I've told you this over and this was an issue when he was there in Thessalonica. He's not creating some new law. He is deeply anchored in the word of God. In other words, friends, he is taking this principle straight from the Bible. He is taking this principle straight from the book of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, not to mention Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, 26 says, a worker's appetite works for him, his mouth urges him on. That's true, Proverbs 16, 26. Work is actually foundational to life. To think that somehow work is beneath us or beyond us or that I should just only be doing something quote-unquote spiritual instead of physical is actually disobedience to the scriptural principle. I want you to go with me back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. Turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to see verses 27 through 31 before the fall and then Genesis 3, 19 after the fall. Genesis 1, 27 through 31. The Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. And God said, look at verse 29. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. In verse 30, I have given every green plant for food. Implication, of course, is that God had provided that, 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 that God had provided these plants for men to tend, man to tend, and to cultivate in order for him to eat. You see this after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Of course, you know this verse well. Um, verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat breast, uh, bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work, as I said, is foundational to life. God ordained that it is through our work that we are able to get food in order to sustain our bodies. Now, we're not just talking about getting enough money so that we can go out to eat once in a while, but rather that the actual opportunity for work is intended to generate food for our body. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Let me just keep going here. And if you look at Psalm 104, Psalm 104 and verse 20. Psalm 104 and verse 20. He says, You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the field creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. The psalmist says in Psalm 128, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Throughout the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 13, Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 28, all of these wisdom sayings regarding work. The problem at Thessalonica was that some were unwilling to work. They were able, we're not talking about someone who is unable to work, we're talking about someone who is unwilling to work, that violates the scriptural principle. Work is not part of the curse. Beware of thinking that work is simply a result of the fall, it's not. You remember back, as we read Genesis chapter 1, God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion. In other words, the Bible says that we are created in the image of God and we are conferred with God-like rights and capacities. God, as the creator, made man and woman with, the, with the, the ability, with the capacity to create. Not to be the ultimate creator, but to create or to shape or to mold that which has been created and to bring it into its fullest expression of goodness to the glory of God. What we see here is Paul is saying you've got to be watchful of this unruly behavior of being out of line from what God has commanded because when you do that, you are violating a scriptural principle. You are actually disobeying a scriptural 
principle. And he boils it down and says it in a, in a memorable way. If you don't work, you will not eat. Because that's the foundation for life. Not simply in a fallen world, but that's the foundation for the way God intends life. But there's a second reality or second reason that we should be wary of this. Back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Turn back there with me now. And that is because of the pattern that is disregarded. The pattern that is disregarded. And I want to show you here verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 7. And I, I want to call your attention to the, to the language of ought. The language of obligation that he uses here. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Of course, he would tell the Corinthians, why would you imitate me? Because I am imitating Christ. Know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you an example in ourselves to imitate. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. In other words, he says to the Thessalonians, you all are well aware of the example that we had set for you. They set this pattern, this example. They didn't come in to Thessalonica and attach themselves to a wealthy patron in the city. No, they worked even tediously and with great effort. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, he said, we labor we work ourselves, our fingers to the bone, as it were, working with our own hands. Now, we know that they had the right to seek compensation for their ministry. And in fact, they would later receive financial help from churches that they had planted, as in the case of the Philippians. That's a biblical principle also. But they refused to do that in Thessalonica and other places because he says they didn't want to be a burden. Chapter 3, verse 8. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, he said, we do that because we don't want to create an obstacle to the gospel. But in addition, what we learn here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is that he was concerned with setting an example. You see, they came into Thessalonica understanding something of the culture and understanding what was happening there. And so what they did is they provided them an example which the church was apostolically obligated to follow. That was part of the ministry of an apostle. He wanted to set an example to the young church there. They had just come out of idolatry. They were influenced by pagan culture. They had the natural human tendency towards laziness. And so they needed to see this lived out. They were setting an example to imitate. And friends, listen, when we fail to use our own hands because of the influence of any of those things or anything else, when we fail to use our own hands in order to provide for ourselves, even though we are able, we, follow, we fail to follow the example of the godly men and women who've gone before us. More than that, we fail to follow the apostolic example which we are to imitate. And he says this is imitatable, even in a culture that is less than favorable to its 
practice. You don't have to have the perfect culture in order to apply the principles that he's giving us here. One, beware because of the principle that is disobeyed. Two, beware because of the pattern that is disregarded. And three, beware because of the person who is dishonored. I want you to see how Paul bookends this text. He begins in verse 6 of chapter 3, and he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. In other words, the authority behind what he is commanding here is none other than the authority of Jesus Christ himself. This is really for the apostle an issue of the superiority and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what we do, we do for the honor of Jesus Christ. That's what he told the Colossians. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that it's from the Lord you will receive your inheritance. You are serving the Lord Christ. He even told masters. He said, masters, make sure that you treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Because you yourself have a master in heaven. And friends, this is precisely what gives meaning to work. Whatever the work is, it's about the honor of Jesus Christ. An old preacher, Harry Ironside, told the story of visiting a shoe cobbler who was known for his diligent and tedious work. And he asked him why he worked so hard. And that cobbler, Daniel Mackay, responded, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He said, you see, I don't just cobble shoes just for money. I'm doing this for the glory of God. He said, I expect one day to see every shoe I have ever repaired in a big pile at the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't want the Lord to say, Dan, that was a poor job. But I want him to to say, well done, good and faithful servant. The Apostle Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand something. That rather than shirking their responsibility and giving up, or just following the the pagan culture, he wants them to understand that God has given them an opportunity for his glory. And that's what work is about. We hear a lot spoken of today. You watch the news, you see everything that's going on in our society around us, and I have to admit, from time to time, it's tempting for us to be afraid. Are we to worry we to fret, we to be afraid because of the influx and influence of evildoers in our world and in our culture? Are we to worry and fret and be afraid because of the ever-present selfishness and laziness of the flesh and the reality of the presence of false teachers all around us? No. Listen, brothers and sisters. Nothing And no one will ever hinder the work of the Lord in building His kingdom. Nothing. Would you turn with me very quickly before we close to Mark chapter 10? 
I, I can imagine some of the Thessalonians saying, but, but, but what about, but what about, but what about? And Paul just says what he says. And I want us to remember today that no labor of love is ever in vain. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 23 for a moment. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And then Peter, (laughs) he opens his mouth, his foot-shaped mouth, and he begins to say, he's just... This is the indication that he's, he's just getting these words started. And he says before, you know, he just says it. See, we've left everything and followed you. And, and Jesus cuts him off right there. He, we, we're banking on you, Jesus. See, we left everything and followed you. To which Jesus says, truly I say to you, There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Now see, prosperity teachers will read that and then they won't read the next two words. With what? Persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In other words, Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, no labor of love is ever in vain. No labor of love is ever in vain. Listen, the decisions that are made in Washington and Harrisburg and so many other places today are mostly made to the exclusion of the Bible. We know that. And guess what? In many ways, I can't control it. Now, I know, I I know, we're supposed to be living in a society that gives power to the voter and all that, but the problem is that in many cases, the, the heart of the voter is just as corrupt as those who are appointed. What is tragic, friends, is not that we are living under judgment in America today. What is tragic is not the loss of freedom. What is tragic is not the loss of comfort. But what is tragic is that men and women will spend an eternity in hell apart from God. So what I'm telling you is to not fret and worry and fear and be afraid and all of those kind of things. I'm saying whatever you do, do as unto the Lord because you're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ for His glory for His kingdom. None of these things are going to hinder God from doing what He said He'll do. None of them. So you just go about doing what you do, living as you live for His glory until He comes again. You see, God builds His kingdom by a transcendent power. 
God builds his kingdom by a transcendent power. And it's not subject to the whims and wishes and of, uh, of, of man. God builds his kingdom. And we can't be led astray and, and worry. We can't fret. We can't let us not be disobedient. But rather, let's offer up to God everything we are and everything we do and recognize that he takes that as an offering. You realize when the Bible says that God created man and woman and that he put them into the garden, that word put is a word that means to be placed as unto religious service. You're here for the worship of God. You're here for the glory of God. And everything that you're involved in and everything that you do, you just do it to the highest extent. Listen, it's not in vain. It's going to matter. You think cobbling shoes doesn't matter and God says, you're wrong. You think teaching your children doesn't matter. And it's all in vain. They don't get it. And God said, you'd be wrong. And you think writing your software and selling your products and driving your trucks is in vain. And God says, you're wrong. No labor of love is in vain. So brothers and sisters, let us not shrink away from labor. But let's run to it. And watch what God does for His glory, even in this world. Let's pray.